Hello, Real Talk listeners. Welcome back to our series, Culture, Culture, Culture. And today we're actually putting a bow on our series and really talking about how do we tie in culture into one practice within our organization and how do we all focus on that priority? And today we have a special guest. So it's just me, Maria, not Michelle, but I do have a special guest with me, Justine is with us. She leads at an organization from a culture perspective and really focuses on engagement and culture and makes that a priority in her day-to-day. But she's really passionate and bought into it. So um, Justine, do you want to introduce yourself or just kind of get some insights to the listeners so they can know uh, a little bit about your passion within the HR realm? Hi, everyone. My name is Justine. I currently serve as the head of culture and engagement at the organization that I work at. My background is actually not in culture. My background has primarily been in HR operations and systems and really kind of figuring out what is the process that we need to establish and how do we drive efficiencies from a very systematic standpoint. And so looking at culture has been a really interesting journey because you'd be surprised at how many processes are in place and how many inefficiencies you're trying to smooth out the the kinks of. And so in my current role for culture, it's really kind of reframing what all the different elements of HR really are and kind of taking a different lens and perspective into everything that you're already working on and just adding that extra spin and that little pizzazz of culture and engagement when you look at, you know, developing your projects. Yeah, so, you know... I love that we have to like figure that out in every organization. Can you tell me, does every organization have their crap together on this? If you find one, you let me know. I don't think (laughs) I have ever gone to a place where you can go and be like, what's your company culture? And someone tells you, here's the handbook. This is how people act. This is what people do. This is our, our bylaws of culture. I'm sure you have orgs that are, you know, really put together in terms of what they want their culture to look like. But I'd be hard-pressed to find one that's like, this is who what we want to be like. This is how we actually are. And this is how our employees view that as well. So it's very fluid is, is how I would put it. I mean, does it come from both sides? Like, there's a lot of people that challenge this that say it's top-down. Culture comes from top-down. There's nothing your employees can do that can create or instill a culture for you in the organization. And then there's some people that say, hey, if your employees aren't bought in and you like literally haven't told them like how their culture should be themselves, then essentially it's not going to work. So it's really from bottom up that is going to establish your culture because your people establish your culture. So like that could be a, a very controversial topic. And it's interesting where the starting point is. And hey, listen, I worked for an organization where top-down leadership wasn't bought into culture. We had to start into the, in the middle because they were just like, you know what? We don't believe in HR stuff. We don't want to train our employees. Like all that's crap. We're working on the priorities. So we literally had to find somewhere like in the company to start. And that's where we then started. But, you know, Michelle challenges me and she's like, you have to then go both directions. You then then have to, you know, get the leader somehow, you know, bought in a culture. So I would love to get some insights from you from a culture perspective. You know, obviously employees, but also leaders are both involved in this whole process. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with Michelle. It's just, it's multi-directional, right? It's, you know, you're at the end of the day, your company is still made up of your people. So even though you have your leaders at the end of the day, they are first and foremost an employee because if they're not, they're probably not supposed to be in a leadership position if they're not even employed. (laughs) So if you're thinking about it in that way, I mean, I also have like personal background in just working in a restaurant. And so sometimes I think about that, that one partition or that one door between the kitchen which kind of shows, you know, where's the break between the back end of the house or, or the front end of the house, right? And so can you have a restaurant without customers? No. Can you have a restaurant without the the staff in the kitchen? Probably not. Or you could try and we'll see how that goes. But I think about it in terms of there's certain things that maybe only the leaders can do. But I'd also say that there's only certain things that maybe like the people can do. So I think there is a symbiotic relationship and it's kind of figuring out where do they meet, right? How do they come together? And oftentimes I think of them in those shared experiences, whether or not you're creating a potluck or whether or not you're saying, this is how we recognize people. I mean, even when I first started in my current role, I got the question of, are you our new pizza party planner? And I sat there and I was like, um, that's, uh, I don't know if that's all of culture, but it makes me realize like, that's what people are seeing as culture, right? It's the visible exposure. It's the PR for the HR house You know, it's really just like the shared experiences of people like face and encounter. So if all you're doing are pizza parties, if all you're having are ping pong tournaments, then yes, that is going to be the culture that people see and what they perceive is going to be the reality. So do people have a say in what that looks like? Yes. Is there potentially a glass ceiling of how much impact they can change? I'd also say, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. If you have the pizza parties and nobody shows up, is that something that is an established culture that the leadership has created? Or is that now on the blame of the employees? Makes you wonder. It's like, which came first, the pizza party or the pizza party goers? (laughs) Pretty much, pretty much. It's like interesting. And we talk about food because Like over the last couple of years, every company you go to, it's like, oh, they have breakfast burritos on Thursdays. They have a cafeteria. There's like a personal chef. There's all these different perks. And and so I think for a long time, people always saw culture as the work perks, right? Like you think of the big tech companies like the Googles and the Facebook. Oh, there's on-site daycare. There's like laundry facilities. There's like conference rooms that have relaxation soundscapes in the background with like comfy chairs. And I think specifically with like COVID, a lot of those perks were, I'd say, stripped away or maybe at least removed temporarily. And then you kind of refocus on, okay, what is our work culture? What are we telling our, not just employees, but our potential applicants and candidates of this is who we are, not just what we sell, but this is who we are. This is how we do things here. And then you start looking at, okay, you take away the pool table, you take away the ping pong table, you take away those beanbag chairs and the lounge that everyone just sits around and have like video game tournaments. What do you have? You have your people and the way you do things. So what is the way you do things? That's exactly it. You know, if you take away some of the perks, what is the culture like? And, uh, you know, every different place I've worked at, I can literally tell you rather quickly what the established culture is. And, you know, we talk a little bit about on this podcast about different companies that are much, very much a work hard, play hard organization or just work hard. Like, for example, like you mentioned Google, they have the nap pods. A culture of a nap pod is that you are going to sleep and live at that office 
that is where you stay. And that's why the daycares and the, the shuttles that take you to and from your living space to your workspace, which in this case now seems like it's a reversal. But there's a lot of those different perks. And then you start thinking about, okay, well then what is the environment that we're in? What does that look like? And can people thrive in this environment? I also like to think about culture as like, not just the behaviors of the people, but what is the environment? I always have this reference of that one episode from The Office with like the Jello, where he puts everything in Jello and there's that one stapler. And I don't know why, but that to me sometimes is is the essence of culture. It's it's the Jello that surrounds all our different work environments and our, all of our different things. And so when you think about like, okay, culture is the breeding ground for, I don't know, work, then what is it? Are you actually growing? Like, what are you trying to breed? Like, what are you trying to create here? And are you creating an environment that's conducive to the type of culture that you're trying to build towards? Yeah. So let's talk through that a little bit. So, from a leadership perspective, you know, when you take a look, obviously the CEO or the seed levels or the CHRO needs to establish like the what. And then the leaders should really be executing on that vision and there should be really good established communication off of that. But, you know, what can we do or what can we say to help our listeners who are leaders in an organization right now navigate through creating a culture or maybe even cultivating that culture a little bit and taking it to the next steps? I think one of the biggest things that leaders that I'm I'm just assuming at this point probably don't get is they don't get that visibility. They don't get the transparency of, all right, maybe everyone is working at a desk and they're all hunched over because they have really poor ergonomic stations. <laughs> and maybe the leader sitting in a nice cushy office with a really fancy ergonomic like Herman Miller chairs. And then you're sitting there and you're like, okay, well, why is everyone so stressed and there's all these health issues all of a sudden? And part of it could just be visibility. Does your leader even know what the current day-to-day experiences of your employees are? And I think, again, like culture is often those micro moments, those day-to-day moments that make up your entire work career, the positives and the lows. So one, are your leaders aware of that? And can they be made a little bit more aware of that? Let's be real. It's hard during COVID to figure out what's going on in the day-to-day as a leader, unless you're calling each and every person and asking them all to be on video. Yep. And that's that's extremely difficult too, right? So I mean, part of it is, you know, there's no simple fix. But I think that what's really important is for those who are voicing their concerns, it's are you really listening? Are you taking that time to really figure out like, sure, maybe it's the one person and maybe there's a history of saying the squeaky wheel gets the oil, but maybe that squeaky wheel is actually an indicator of a greater problem or maybe a more widespread issue. So I think that leaning into, you know, the comments of your employees and partnering with your HR reps who are probably closer to your your teams, but even leveraging team leads, right? And kind of looking at, okay, if I don't have this information, how can I get reliable information and data around these experiences? And then the other thing is modeling. Yeah. So obviously they need to model the way and lead by example in their own culture, but what do you do for those leaders who say, I just don't have enough time? We downsized for the pandemic. How do you expect me to sit there and take time to listen to team members when I can't even listen to my own thoughts in my own head? <laughs> well, here's a controversial thought. Let's say they don't. Are you willing to suffer the consequences of not you know, really listening to your employees? And so, all right, they're going to walk. So you know, 
people, where did I hear this? I once heard something where it's like people vote with their feet. So they will go where they want to and where they feel that. So like people will know if they're not happy with their leaders, whether or not the leaders know that's a different story. But, you know, for all the leaders who say they don't have time, they don't have the capacity, they don't have the bandwidth, then it's a matter of, I really want to say it's a matter of your priorities. You make time for the things that you want. You choose to spend and invest time however you want, whether it's the extra five minutes before a call asking everyone how their weekend was, which again, I think everyone's zoomed out and and fatigued from video calls of of weekend pleasantries because everyone's still inside, still here, (laughs) but really kind of teasing a part of, well, what about human connection? And sometimes it's repeated exposure. Sometimes it's showing up. And so that's really a big thing. I, I think we've seen in our own organizations where you've seen a lot of team leaders some of them are very successful in, in really building a high-performance culture, and I'm saying that in quotes. But then we also have team leaders who are maybe not doing so well. And consistently across the board, what we're seeing those high-performing team leads do is they're having those check-ins. They're having those conversations. They're having that space that they are making themselves available, whether or not they're having a daily check-in, a weekly check-in, but they're at least creating a space where folks can bring things to their attention of saying, hey, I have a concern. Can you listen? Hey, there's something going on. What are your thoughts? It's, I think now more than ever, it's taking the time to spend on that connection and that additional sense of community. So what I'm hearing is if you don't take a couple of minutes, someone's going to leave and then you're going to have a couple, about 40 hours worth of work to distribute every week. And you're probably going to have to take that on too. So you might as well invest the time while people are still around. I mean, I like to think worst case scenario and you prepare for catastrophe, right? When you're working in operations for a little bit, you kind of think about, okay, if all else fails, what do I have to work with? And if you can plan for those contingencies, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you safeguard that? Why wouldn't you want to do that? If if the cost is five minutes now, but it's a happier, more retained, like more engaged and, and a retained employee, wouldn't you? Like if you, if someone offered you a hundred dollars, would you only take 99? Like, I don't know. I would take a whole hundred, you know, the cost is minimal in terms of time, but you never know the impact to another person. And that's the thing I think that's so hard to measure, right? When it comes to culture, there's no scale of, all right, you've reached your culture index of 100% now and you filled up on this meter of culture, which means you're good to go. Oh, that would be so nice. Oh, that would be so nice. Someone create that. I think if the moment they create some app, I'm sure there's an app for it (laughs) going to be. But I mean, that's the importance of why people have engagement surveys. Like they're doing pulse checks. There's, There's companies out there who are doing daily pulses. I've seen variations of an attempt at pulse checks, even at the team leader level in our org, whether it's a, hey, just checking in or one-on-one or in groups or describe your day in a GIF and people are like dropping in their favorite GIFs or this is my Monday or this is how Tuesday's rolling through. I think we've seen a lot of people get really creative, but I think it's being connected. And until you really know how your people are feeling, how are you able to steer your team in the right direction if you don't even know where they're looking? Yeah, that's a good point. So from a leadership perspective, they need to model the way, but they also need to pave the way. I think so. Yeah. If they are modeling it, they need to also pave the way. There's, I think there's a lot of you know research out there of just, okay, it's up to the leaders. The leaders need to pave the way. It's a lot of top down, like it has to come from the leaders. And so 
they can drive as much of it as possible, but do they really know what that looks like? Are leaders culture experts? Probably not, unless you know they are a leader in culture, then, then that's a different story. But I mean, it's culture is so unique to each person. Like you have to get to know each person and their style as a leader, as an employee, as a team member, as a team lead, as a member of HR. I wish there was a one-stop shop. I mean, you tell me if you ever find one. I'm looking for the the almighty SOP on culture. That would be awesome. Yeah. But I think it's it's weaving that, you know, going back to that same shared mission, vision, values, right? Of what are we working towards? And is what we're doing right now, is what we're proposing right now going to help the cause or is it going to hurt the cause? And it could be a that could be your simple measure, right? Your your barometer of are we doing the right thing? Does it help or does it hurt? And if it gets really murky, then then kind of figure out why is it murky? You know, everyone's trying to figure out, okay, culture is either super complicated for some or super easy for some. But that's just the nature of it because there is no solid, this is the way to do culture. No, there isn't. I mean, there are a lot of don'ts and you could probably listen to a lot of podcasts or webinars or anything that'll tell you what not to do in regards to culture. One point or tip I'll give to people leaders is try not to play favorites. And even though you're not intentionally trying not to, you know, you get an accommodation request from an employee that wants to flex their hours, but not other employees are able to do that. You've now created this toxic work culture by creating, you know, and approving account uh, accommodations and listen, accommodations should go through your benefits department. That way you don't have to be viewed as the, you know, one that's playing favorites with employees. But essentially there's a whole list of do nots in culture. And if you have any questions or you want that list, feel free to go on realtalent.com. We do have an article on all the don'ts of culture, but definitely things for us to consider I think everyone can make their own way and pave their own way from a leadership perspective. As an employee kind of pivoting from there, I think it's important for us to understand what the culture is and help our leaders navigate through that and be bought in and not create a different narrative. So if a leader's trying to help out an employee that has cancer and they're allowing them to flex their schedule because they don't sleep well at night, me as an employee sitting there getting teed off and spreading rumors about how my leader plays favorites and this is a toxic work culture. That's like a great Glassdoor review up coming. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love Glassdoor. <laughs> oh man. But I mean, going back to that restaurant analogy, right? Those Glassdoors, like those reviews really shape the brand perception of your company. So whether or not you believe or you subscribe to a particular culture, are people actually doing one thing and saying another? And that's something you really have to tease apart as well because your employees are going to be the main drivers and stewards of culture. Mm -hmm. While yes, you have a lot of top-down, like this is the model, this is what we're wanting, this is the direction that we're trying to head in. Until you get you know everyone else on board to really say, okay, I subscribe to that. I, I bought it. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I enjoy this flavor and we're going to go ahead with it. Until you can get to that point, it's you're not going to have a consistent culture. So again, it kind of goes back to what kind of environment are you growing? Like what what is the culture that you're breeding here? Like what are the breeding grounds for success in this space? But then also looking at are you reinforcing that in how you act? Are your day-to-day actions positively reinforcing the type of culture you want to see? Or are you saying, all right, here's an exception, there's an exception? It's yeah, there is no one size fits all. And so I'd say the same thing applies to your employees. You can't give the same treatment 
to various employees and expect the same results. Yeah. I think is something that people have to think about. Yeah. You know, we create just as much as leaders create and establish a culture as employees. I think we also create the environment or the narrative surrounding that as well. And we help either boost or flop their idea on culture. So we're like, this sucks. We don't agree. (laughs) This is the worst thing ever. How dare you order pineapple on my pizza? You have all these kind of different, you know, opinions. And and that's the thing. Opinions aren't inherently bad. And and I think people kind of try to shy away of saying, oh, it doesn't fit to our culture. And so we're just going to silence it. And now we're going to be a super homogenous environment. But no, like culture is made up of all those different moments. So it's not just what is what is like the how of, of the company. It's not just how do people act here. It's It's what behaviors do people tolerate here? And what kind of environment are you creating? That's a good point. And, you know, I've worked for an organization. I'll tell you, they've had a great top-down culture. I worked for FedEx. Fantastic top-down culture. Like literally Fred Smith, genius. I don't necessarily love everything that comes out of his mouth. However, he's genius from a company perspective. But when you take a look at a sub-department... I was completely unhappy. And I chose, because of the toxicity in that department, to leave the organization at FedEx. Now, would I go back to the company in a heartbeat to that department with those same established leaders? Absolutely not. But, you know, you can find, you know, yourself pivoting in different departments as an employee or finding out that, you know, just you're just not bought in. And sometimes you have to walk. You have to choose because there's so many times as an HR business partner, I'm talking to someone, I'm like, this leader is doing everything right. I've literally gotten on a call and mediated like the cultural differences. And this employee still isn't happy. At the end of the day, there's nothing that this leader can absolutely do to help and be a, you know, a, a difference or, a, you know, do something special and unique to this team member or this employee that's going to make them feel one way or another. Sometimes it's just like, here's the door, go figure out your culture. Yeah, walk, walk through that. Yeah, walk through it, please. And you said something really interesting too. There was a point you made where it's like, all right, maybe you are super in alignment with the ultimate, like the the CEO or the the C-level executive and their mission and values. But maybe you're not having a great time in your department or your team or a smaller team, right? It's, I believe it was, I don't know if it was research done by Gartner or if it was by Gallup, but they actually found more intra-department differences than they did between companies. And so that is probably a good indicator of just what are all the different subgroups that you have, formal or informal, within your current company? And are they either aligned or kind of moving in the direction you want them? Are there certain groups that are, you know, maybe not doing so hot? You might even find some some answers in your analytics around your retention rates for certain teams by people leader. There might be some surprises or maybe not some surprises in some of the data that you're looking at. So it's a really interesting question to ask of, all right, maybe it's not overall leadership. Maybe it's not overall culture, but maybe it's the culture within your team. Maybe there's some additional behaviors that are positively reinforced, which can still be negative behaviors, but are positively reinforced at a team level that other teams just don't see or other department heads just aren't privy to. And that can also make or break whether or not someone wants to continue staying there. I think, Maria, for yourself too, right? Like, 
that team experience is a huge factor in terms of your day-to-day experience at that job. That's going to make or break it. We're at work sometimes longer than we're with our families. So it becomes family to us. (laughs) So we have to... Whether you like it or not. (laughs) Exactly. Whether you like it or not. You know, these are your adopted family members and we don't always love our families each and every day, but there are some points in the day where you just have to feel comfortable enough with the people you're working with and the culture and the environment that you're in. If it's not for you, you spend way too much time there in a day to just literally settle. That's all I have to say to everybody. Like if if you're settling, you need to move on, whether you're a leader, an employee in a company. Oh, a hot take, huh? I mean, you hear about all the different research and the articles around strategy, this strategy, that. And then you also hear the articles around like, well, culture eats strategy for breakfast and and X, Y, and Z. And people have been saying that for for numerous years now. But I think that what people fail to to really see is that culture is not this add-on business strategy. It's not like you're saying, all right, our finances are going to be this, our operations procedures are going to be this, and our culture approach is going to be this. It should be embedded. It needs, it needs to be embedded. And the more integrated it is into your business strategy, the more fluid and the more relevant I think it all becomes. And then it becomes second nature. One of the really good examples is someone asked like, okay, during an interview, what is a good question to ask during interviews around understanding the company's culture? And you would expect people to be like, oh, yes, like we have this perk and, you know, people are really friendly here. Everyone wants to help each other out. And this person asked a really targeted question. What do you all do for lunch around here? And it wasn't, oh, we have a cafeteria. It was, oh, we have potlucks or we sit together or everyone is heads down at their desk trying to scarf down a bite between calls, you know. That is also an indicator of your culture. So if you ask yourself, what do your teams do around? And maybe you have to think in pre-COVID times of what do your teams do for lunch around here? It's Are you okay with that answer? Are you proud of that answer? And is that a company that if you hear that, is that a company you'd want to work for? Yeah, it creates that social interaction, which reminds me that uh, I need to create some virtual potluck lunches somehow. There's uh, potlucks, there's gift exchanges, there's, um, I think, holiday carols that people are coming up with. And that's the thing is you'll see the teams who want to make something work, find some way to do it. You have ideas around people doing like trunk or treats around Halloween. You have people doing, you know, pickup or, or trunk pickups and drop-offs of, of holiday goods and donations. You have the teams like if they want to do something, they're going to make the time and they're going to be intentional about it, whether or not it's at, at a personal cost or a, a business cost or whatever that cost. And that cost could be time. It could be energy. It could be money. It could be something, but like you're spending that time. And if time, now we're getting philosophical, but if time is your only finite resource, it's what are you spending it on? Mm-hmm. Good point. Awesome. Well, thank you, Justine, for joining our podcast today. This was actually our last episode in preparation for our Shut the Culture Up boot camp that we're having virtually in 2021 in February. So stay tuned for more info on that or reach out to us. Go to realtalent.com and get some more insights. We are happy to have Justine back at any point. Thank you for joining us today, giving us some insights. We will talk to you all soon. Take care, everyone. Bye.